following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. and welcome back to a very special episode of Days of Thunder, that WCW Thunder podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your usher on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm not too bad. So if you're the usher, does that mean I'm the popcorn vendor? Oh, yeah. That's a, is that one of those jobs, though, that, like, runs the risk of you getting what? sick of popcorn very quickly? Like, if you're all day long smelling fresh popcorn? Oh, it would very much be one for them, one for me. Gonna yeah. On the scoops. <laughs> I've always wondered, because it's, like, one of the few kind of crap jobs uh, within, a, a, a like, a retail or service industry I haven't had is the kind of, like having to uh, grumble through shoveling food for people. <laughs> like, I I have been in the all the other jobs that people shit on you for and don't realise how much work it is. Um, but food service is one I have, I have avoided thus far. Uh, anybody who has worked in a cinema, uh, please do uh, tweet us or email us at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter. Because I'd love to know, like, how thankless it is to just be around that smell all day. Like, does popcorn turn your stomach now? Because um, I know, like, uh, our friend Brian, um, who used to co-host Link to the Cast with me, uh, he was a manager in mcdonald's for years and now he can't eat the stuff <laughs> yeah my my brother is actually the same he worked at mcdonald's for a long time and then just wouldn't eat it um yeah no like i can't imagine working in front facing of a cinema is any fun like yeah. no matter how much you love movies and whatever discount <clears throat> you may get for going to see movies i can't imagine like doling out people's food for seven hours a day yeah, the people the people I've known who who've worked in cinemas either they worked in like crappy regional cinemas, um, which are just like miserable places to work apparently, or they've worked in big chain cinemas, which are in a different way a miserable place for them mm-hmm. to work based on their experiences anyway. Um, I I think the sole benefit I've seen is I I had a friend who used to work in our local cinema and after hours he used to like hook his PlayStation up to the digital projector and just play his own movies for like mates and staff. (laughs) Well, that's one way of doing it as well. Yeah, that was cool. And like if a big movie is coming out at midnight, say, um, when the cinema closes at like, you know, nine, ten o'clock some nights, um, the staff will go in and have their own screening. 
um, of the movie before it comes out. Um, okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So there, like, there is some benefit in kind, and like as as Brian would always point out to me, like you work at McDonald's, you get one free meal a day in there, which is, I suppose, a cool novelty at first. But I imagine if you're having one McDonald's a day, it's not going to be. Oh, that that novelty is going to wear off pretty quick. Uh, well, I mean, look look how badly it affects us after a weekend at Oberhausen. Oh my god, I never want to look at a burger again after those weekends. <laughs> Actually, was it last time where we only had one the whole four or five days we were there? Okay, well or, that could have been, that could have been carrot, but no. Yeah. The last time okay, I was yeah. there, it was. It must have been carrot that we only went in once the whole weekend. Uh, it was it was bliss, and I think we only went to um, three sixty our other favorite haunt twice the whole weekend. That that's some going like. Yeah, we really changed it up. Like people who've been to Overhouse and know how difficult that is. They're the two most convenient places by far to eat. Like if, uh, if you if you hadn't had breakfast and you were going to like an eleven o'clock wrestling show. Yeah. And McDonald's is like right outside the door. Mm. Not only going to an eleven o'clock wrestling show, but eleven o'clock wrestling show that ends at one, and then the next one is at three. Yeah. So like you don't really have time to go all the way to where the good food is and back. Um, but yeah, we're we're here for a special episode, Lee. We're not actually. This is maybe our high spirits, partly influenced by alcohol, as always. <laughs> but uh, also our high spirits we're... influenced by our high spirits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah indeed um, but also because we're taking a pit stop off this week and we're talking about a motion picture instead of an episode of Thunder I thought this was a nice little surprise for the Thunder buddies that I let them know on on, on Saturday night uh, that we were going to be doing this normally we'd kind of do these specials in between Thunder episodes but I think sometimes it's just nice for us as hosts as well like selfishly <laughs> but uh, for people listening just that we do something a little bit different every now and then um, well, well I mean you, you can tell how enthused we are about what's going on in the current product that we're watching that we're taking a, taking a break <laughs> yeah well we're in a period where between now uh in our timeline and the end of 1998 there's actually two big documentaries that premiere on on television mm-hmm. uh we have beyond the mat and wrestling with shadows coming out towards the end of 1998 start of 1999 so we're going to be looking at a couple of films here or there anyway uh over the course of our timeline but uh we first had the opportunity uh, to watch and enjoy this film that we're going to get into in a few minutes, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which I will say right at the top, uh, is available, if you're in North America, it's available on a couple of different services, but most notably Amazon Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, uh, there everyone knows there's ways and means to see North American Amazon Prime Video if you don't live in North America, and that's, I'll leave it at that. Yep. Um, but uh, that may or may not be how we found it. I, we couldn't possibly say. Who are we to say? Um, but look, but before we get into You Cannot Kill David Arquette, uh, we'll pull back a little and do our usual bit of business here and talk about our beers of thunder. Uh, Lee, it was a rough day for us watching football today and we're, we're settling in to have a good time talking about a documentary. Um, so we've come equipped uh, with multiple drinks. <laughs> Well, unlike you, I've gone for multiples of the same drink. I've gone for two mm-hmm. whiskey and limes, and it's a uh, Jameson whiskey, ten year old. Pretty nice. Pretty um, it goes down pretty well after such a horrible day. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah, and it's a that's another thing that it's worth noting about Ireland at the moment. Like we're in the middle of a like a wind and rain warning in my part of the country, anyway. Uh, which isn't too far away from yours. So it, the, the, it has been raining horizontally since I woke up this morning. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it's literally been raining all day. 
Yeah, it's one of those days where I just didn't bother getting out of my pajamas because, like, if I like, I was just there was nowhere to go, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do. Um, so it's that kind of day. Uh, I'm rocking also a Jemison. I have a, a double Jemison with uh, a bit of Coke Zero on top of it, and my uh, my Jemison of choice instead of the ten year reserve is the uh, Distillery Edition uh, from Bow Street in Dublin. Um, and I also have, I think this is my favourite name for a beer in quite some timely. Um, from the St. Mel's Brewing Co. It's the most Irish name for a beer I've ever had on the show, I think. It's called Guanso. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's brilliant. That is Described brilliant. as a thirst-quenching thirst light lager. So allow me to try this. Oh my God, that's really nice. Okay. Oh, you'd love this, Lee. You'd just, love just, this. just for the name alone, I'm gonna seek this out. But also, yeah. your your description, like just saying, I'd love it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find this. Yeah, you'd like this a lot. It's a very, it's a shame I didn't discover this a couple months earlier because this is, this is lovely summer sitting on the grass beer. <sighs> very refreshing. Do you remember we used to do that? <laughs> do you remember outside? <laughs> <laughs> Seeing people outside. Yeah. Oh, what a time. I literally have not seen you in seven months, like, Jesus. in person. If that fucking is that long, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. I have a bag of Werder's original popcorn I brought from Germany to give to you seven months ago. Actually, that is actually, it's going off in about six weeks, so uh, I need to you, get this to you. No, you need it. Just, just eat it. It's fine. I have three of my own bags, Lee. <laughs> now you have four. Yeah. Uh, cheer! I don't know if, to, if that's a blessing or a curse, but anyway, I, I, I tell you what, you can give one to Alan, who I'm also. Oh yeah, yeah, Alan Murray. <laughs> yes, I thought I thought you meant Alan Forel, who oh, I was actually. No, he, going... he, he gets nothing. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up uh, the Forels in two different ways. Uh. So before we start the show, we we need to name drop two things. Uh, so firstly, I think we need to put over huge Alan and Sarah Forel, uh, quiz masters extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Um, for kind of organising a, a virtual open. Normally we'd have our big bowling tournament because this would have been, the, the weekend just gone would have been when we all would have been in Overhausen. Yeah. Seeing our friends, none of us have seen each other in seven months, like I said. Um, so Alan and Sarah got us all together for a quiz night. There was a bit of uh, bingo involved, I believe, as well, and a kind of uh, virtual spread contest for who cooked the nicest food and things. Uh, but yourself and myself just got involved in the quiz. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to put them over big uh, one for organising the whole thing tremendous work tremendous fun was had um, and also Lee uh, two questions included that Days of Thunder listeners who had partaken <laughs> in the quiz were very thankful that they listened yep. to uh, our show for uh, and what were they? okay the first one was um, who in 1995 was Sherry Martel's love interest in WCW which the correct we- answer being which was Colonel Rob Parker. Uh, fun fact, I deliberately answered that question wrong because I couldn't resist the joke to say Gene Okerlund. <laughs> Gene Okerlund, who, of course, was everybody's love interest in WCW. And rightfully so. <laughs> um, and then the second was our favourite recording character in all of wrestling. Yeah. It was named Tony Schiavone's wife, who has been a, a part of wrestling for, what, 25, 30 years now? Yeah. Without never, ever, ever being seen on camera. Yeah. And maybe not even knowing, as we've said before, that she has been a character on wrestling television yeah. across multiple companies and decades. I, I think, didn't there, uh, was it uh, Mark 
Buckleby, uh, Monkey Buckles that pointed out yes. that even Jesse Ventura in 1993 was talking about Lois Shivani. <laughs> on, I think it was either an episode of Worldwide or Saturday Night or something. Yeah. Uh, fantastic stuff. And uh, finally, uh, to put over Alan again to mention something we were both involved in, Lee. Um, if I, anyone I, I, over... I, I just want to say, I love that you're putting over Alan and Sarah, and rightfully so, they did a great job. Yeah. You're not putting over my performance in the quiz. I wasn't as good as Johnny's performance in the quiz. Well, Johnny didn't get screwed over by Alan Farrell again. <laughs> yeah, you both made it through the first round, and did uh, did you did Johnny made it through the second? And I made I you... made it I made it through the second round as well. I was oh, in the final you? four. Oh, sorry. The second round is when I went down to let the dog out. So ah. I had assumed I, I must have come up a little bit late into the third round because you were gone by the time I got back on my headphones. Yeah, now I got screwed by Alan. <laughs> <laughs> first question of the fourth round what was the first WXW match that Alan Farrell commentated on <laughs> who other than Alan Farrell knows what match he commentated on first <laughs> I don't think Sarah would have known that oh that is great stuff Joe, that everybody, great else, Joe everybody else go what? who was in Team Canada in TNA <laughs> He did you in. There was like... Oh, this, this, was, listen, Alan Farrell has precedent for this. It was great because his... Uh, like, there was just random difficulty spikes in the middle of the, the, the seven rounds uh, that comprised uh, oh, what, the what, first phase of the quiz. What, like, what was the one that you said, this is absolutely the hardest question? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, like, there were some absolute layups. Um, but there was a lot of ones where it was like, oh my God. Like, you could see people who were... Like we did the New Japan round, and even people like uh, Sarah like Flad or, or or Sarah Flad or yeah. JP, who would closely follow New Japan, were just rolling their eyes three questions in. We really so, should. Yeah. We really should put over Johnny, who got twenty five out of thirty five right. Yeah, incredible. Like just an incredible consistency. I think I yeah. I, I got through with twenty one. I think, yeah. and I think the lowest to get through to the top nine was sixteen. So that'll tell you, like just. No, it was it, it was it was thirteen because I was one of the ones that finished on twelve. Ah, uh, okay, it was thirteen. Well, there you go. That yeah. just shows. Like, I think there was about thirty-three of us, thirty-two of us. Yeah, and just like the level of difficulty in some of the questions was just. Yeah, I really made up all almost all my points on the territories and current day round. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Um, also to put over, yeah, as I was gonna say, if you wanted to go over to um. My other podcast, Link to the Cast, uh, myself, Lee, uh, Jack Lazell, and Alan 4L uh, sat down for part two of our Euro 96 Revisited Revisited series. So if you like listening to uh, lads talk shit for hours about old football from when we were young, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> this is the podcast for you. What could I say? <laughs> Easy for you to say. Yeah, it's uh... <laughs> look. It was probably the most fun I've had in a couple of months recording something, because we all just we all just like were relaxed. We were having fun, talking yeah. about something that we all loved. Yeah, because I think look, we we enjoy recording Days of Thunder. Oh yeah, absolutely. We all, we, we always have a good time, but the thing is, m- much more work goes into Days of Thunder <laughs> for the two of us. So we actually have to watch something. Whereas, like, a lot of our, like, old football memories and stuff like that is, like, it, it 
burns deep in the, mm-hmm. in the brain like we we only had to re rewatch like some clips to refresh ourselves like i'll, um, I'll, I'll give you an example many of the time i'll be watching thunder and i'll go jesus how, how long into this episode am i and it's like 25 minutes yeah today watching the documentary or the film i clicked i was like god how far into this am i like it just because it seemed to be just kind of flying along there was yeah. 10 minutes left yeah <laughs> I was just like, oh, shit. I can't believe it's nearly over. I know. Well, I suppose on that note, Lee, thank you for teeing me up with an excellent segue. I'm, get, I'm getting, these, getting these segues, you know, getting fresh with this. Yeah. Credit you with the assist there. Um, we're here to talk about what is sure to be an iconic documentary going oh. forward. It's, it's, it's You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which came out on the 21st of August 2020. Um, like we said, available through Amazon Prime and I think a couple of other VOD mm-hmm. platforms. So keep an eye out or Google around. Um, and, and it is the documentary that charts um, the wrestling career, but in many ways lead the life of yeah. David Arquette. Um, and and just up top, I suppose we don't want to spend too much time talking about him in 2000. Um, because we will eventually get to it in our timeline in about five years of podcasts. <laughs> but um, as well, I think it's like it's very well-worn ground. Um, so like just to kind of for those of you who kind of maybe are a bit young and, and only know the like a, a little bit of, of what happened. The documentary makes it very simple up top, uh, and that is Arquette came in as part of promotion for the Ready to Rumble movie, which is uh, a, a basically a WCW production, uh, or very like heavily involved from Bischoff and WCW. Um, and as part of his promotion, it was decided he would win the world title. And as the film goes on to state very early on, it is commonly agreed upon as one of the worst moments in wrestling history. But... Before this documentary and in the 20 years since it happened, Lee, like how, what were what were your impressions over the years of, of David Arquette in between, like, say, when he showed up in WCW and maybe uh, bef- just before he came back to wrestling last year? It, it's it's like everyone knows about David Arquette winning the world title. And I think it's almost forgotten just how big of a star David Arquette was in the year 2000. Like, yeah. the, the guy was a legit Hollywood star. Like, this wasn't, mm. you know, Kevin Federline coming in for a match. This was fucking... And, like, look at look how much press that got. But, like, David Arquette was, like, a mega movie star. Yeah. He was on the open, like, on the rise in Hollywood. And... I think, like, it's very unfair... The reputation he had before before this this indie run that he went on, yeah, like he like I think DDP sums it up perfectly in a clip in the in the documentary itself. He says, you know, I assume everybody else in Arquette's shoes would have totally torn down being world heavyweight champion. Yeah, and that's it. Like who, like as you see in the documentary, this guy is a huge wrestling fan. He mm-hmm. lives for wrestling the way any of us do, like any, like us on the show, anybody that listens to us, like we're obviously the hard, like the hardcore of the hardcore fans, and this guy is one of us, and you cannot blame him for decisions that Eric Bischoff, Vince Russo, and Daryl made. He didn't choose to be world heavyweight champion; it yeah. was trust on him, yeah, and 
like the reputation he has from wrestling fans was just so unfair. Yeah, and and the reputation then, like, because it rippled both ways, because the reputation it then gave him in Hollywood, as we'll discuss, mm-hmm. like, it, it ruined both careers, you oh, know? Oh, absolutely. Um, the wrestling people didn't want him, and his involvement in wrestling meant movie people didn't want him mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and... Yeah, I like he's a guy. Before we 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 kind of start going blow by blow here, the documentary. He's a guy who. I think the decision, yes, the decision to put the world title on him is one of the stupidest things that has ever happened in in mainstream American wrestling. I I, I don't think that's a, a controversial thing to say, you know, um, and and it, even for Russo who has done like incredibly stupid things over his career like it, it it like he got fired for trying to put the belt on tank abbott which was not not even close to as bad a decision as this was mm-hmm. you know what i mean like at least tank abbott was a tough guy yeah. you know uh putting the belt on arquette and the whole thing with arquette is one of the stupidest booking decisions that has that we have ever seen in our lifetime however i have never like you say, I've never put the blame for that at his feet at all. Um, I, I think it marked a moment where I started to check out a bit as a child. Like when you start, <laughs> when something is so silly, you are 11 years old and you're like, ah, oh, this is some bullshit. Yeah. You know, Um, you know, it's bad. So like, but I never thought, oh, it's Arquette's fault. He's coming in and ruin it. Because I, I think even at 10, 11, I had an understanding um, and you'd have to have an understanding with the amount they were breaking the fourth wall and basically telling you this is fake this mm-hmm. is the man who's deciding what's happening um, so I never really put the blame at his feet but I also never really thought about him as an aggrieved party either I was kind of quite neutral on him like I know as he says himself like he kind of just became a punchline especially for wrestling fans you know um, he is a go-to punchline for terrible booking and has been for 20 years and he became a bit of a joke in Hollywood as well you know he, he as the movie also says like he kind of got typecast because the two things that happened around this time is that also the Scream movies got big and he became typecast as that goof that he was in those movies as the cop Um. And yeah, it just kind of derailed him. And I never really thought about him that much until the news broke of his heart attack a couple of years ago. And then the news came out again about him getting back into wrestling. Um, But yeah, I think this was like if his wrestling, like his little wrestling run from 2019, it seems to be done. Like he seems like a guy who might pop up for a match here or there when things return. Um... But like, it seems like that little run of his, the kind of redemption run is over now. And I think if we're to look at this movie as like a final chapter, a final word on Arquette the Wrestler and Arquette the Man, I think this was a marvellous job. Um, Obviously, we need to take into account that like his wife produced the film and this is clearly like, you know, a passion project of his. So in some ways, you've got to have that skeptic's hat on of some of the things it's showing and not showing. But I, I think, you know, as we start to talk about this, Lee, would you agree with me saying that this is a fairly warts and all documentary? Like, I, I wouldn't say this always paints a very positive picture. Like, it doesn't seem like a puff piece, like, say, like the all or nothing uh, Jose Mourinho propaganda piece that we kind of mentioned there on a show not too long ago. I was just going to say that this did not feel at all like, you know, 
oh god isn't Dave Arquette so incredible and you know just like leaving out any bad bit like this gets into his childhood it gets into problems with his parents yeah. um, like his alcoholism his, his addictions yeah. um, like it, and through it all I still look at the guy and go god you can't help but like him yeah, I think like there's obviously because he is an actor and he is uh, a fan of wrestling and uh, therefore a worker. I think there are like there there are like with any of these films things that that would appear contrived, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we'll talk about one early on. But kind of apart from those like contrived scenes to kind of amp up a bit of drama to set the stakes for the film, I think like as a portrait of the man, it 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 seems fairly real and raw and accurate and yeah i i you know spoiler for our our review at the end i loved this i really really loved this documentary um it wasn't at all what i thought it was going to be um and i think all the better for it um (laughs) but speaking of things i didn't think it would be did you think lee that the first face we would see in this documentary (laughs) i'm glad you brought it up (laughs) would be fucking ken anderson (laughs) No, Dave. <laughs> and I could really have done without ever seeing Ken Anderson on this documentary. Ken Anderson cutting like a shadowy promo, uh, lifting his weights in his gym, talking about how he's done with people taking the piss out of the business. Uh, like a real cringy, angry guy promo. But I suppose this, like I'm trying to, as much as I can, think of this as not the wrestling fan. And I think this probably works more if you're not used to being worked, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, maybe I don't I just feel very peculiar way to open the documentary yeah um, it, it's interesting like it's it, the thing as well is that like I couldn't tell so they show him three or four times doing this throughout before they actually show him in full light in person uh, speaking and they have like voice modulation on him don't they like dropping his voice a couple of octaves I thought that and then I was going um Maybe it's just the way he's talking is a bit strange, but yeah, like, like uh, I, I think I, for sure they, they definitely modified his voice. Yeah, because at first I was like, like I know he's a man who has, you know, it been publicly um, identified as being on the gas, and in the past, and I know that can like you know mess with your voice at a certain point take a testosterone and, and and such but i was just like no this is like he sounds like a, a like a crime call reenactment voice <laughs> there's no way is this is actual and i think there's a bit at the end uh because this is kind of ken, ken anderson weirdly bookends this whole film because the final showdown of the, the the redemption run of arquette is a match with anderson and um we'll get to that when we hear get to it, yeah yeah, you hear him cut a promo, and I think he's got the normal voice there. Mm. I could be mistaken. Um, but yeah, th- then there's the lightning fast recap of, of Arquette's involvement with WCW. Interestingly, like, it's a whole thing. Uh, it's a whole video package without actually mentioning WCW by name. Uh, and I imagine that's tied up in yeah. kind of WWE licensing. Because there is footage, but you know, there's like, you can use footage well, for documentary film without necessarily having to get, like, a certain amount of it without having to get it signed off. Well, a lot of the footage to use is like Entertainment Night, TMZ, stuff like that. Yeah. There is some footage 
from WCW, but it seems to be like it's not in the widescreen format mm-hmm. like we're like we're watching on the network. It seems to be like letterboxed in like that four three aspect yep. ratio. So my guess is maybe they got that from Turner. Possibly, yeah. Uh, either that or it's just the kind of thing like documentary like with a documentary film they're using the exact amount you can use without having to get consent mm-hmm. um, but yeah there's the great graphic that that made me laugh saying fans consider it one of the worst moments in wrestling history and then you get a, a montage of like YouTubers and trainee wrestlers who we'd meet later in the film all just burying what a disgrace it was um, and kind of like leaning hard into Arquette being the problem which I think mm-hmm. that's something we've definitely seen is people blaming Arquette over the years but as we, we've just said it's like I, I think that's a mischaracterization yeah. it's 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 misplaced anger to be pointed at him uh, the only YouTuber though I reckoned was uh, I recognised was Brian Zane from Wrestling with Regret I had I I don't think I'd ever seen any of the others in my life I couldn't have told you his name but I do know the Wrestling with Regret name yeah but other He's... than that I don't think there was anybody notable yeah, he's a guy who, like, uh, it's not one of my, like, I don't go to his videos as, like, oh, this is a compulsive watch, like, say, uh, Joseph Montecilio's videos. Um, but, like, if one of his comes up next in my playlist and I just have YouTube on in the background when I'm working, they're decent watches, you know? Because um, they, like, a lot of his stuff is kind of looking back at retro things that, uh, like, I remember from growing up. So, you know, that nostalgia pop is mm. always going to get me. So, uh, fair play. He's got his market. Um... In terms of unexpected faces, Lee, so we had Ken Anderson. Did you think the first sit-down interview in this documentary was going to be with Rick fucking Flair? You, you mean the godfather of wrestling? Yeah. Did you give, him, his, l- did you give, him, give him your blessing? Yeah, like, in, his, in his... in his Wearing no socks and loafers uh, with his big uh, Starbucks coffee cup between his legs. Shot, like, from really low down. It was like... And, yeah, it really did feel like either The Godfather or, like, you know, um, the Lincoln Monument where he's sitting oh, in the chair. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Are you trying to say uh, Ric Flair is old? He is very old. And he was looking at here, looking yeah. at every year of his, of his age. Um, but, yeah, as you alluded to earlier, he said um, the... the the camera crew asked him, like, did you give, what did you think of David Arquette? And he said, the lovely guy, you know, he, he he thought he was a great guy, really nice. He said he was one of those few, I think he was alluding to other celebrities. I would imagine Rodman was one of the ones mm-hmm. he was kind of alluding to that wasn't like this. But he said Arquette was one of the guys who came into that dressing room, that sacred space for wrestlers, and he treated it with respect. Which, you know, like, if you followed wrestling and, and the inside baseball level to which we follow it for any length of time, you know respect is, like, the fucking biggest deal in the world to, to old carnies like Nate. So, and it tracks as well, you know, Arquette we know he's legitimately a huge wrestling fan. So of course he's going to have that kind of respect. Um, But yeah, he, they ask him, uh, do you give him your blessing? And he goes, as a man, absolutely. But not as a wrestler. <laughs> and then so, he goes, such a burial. <laughs> and then in the greatest segue, one of the great, there's a load of great smash cuts where someone says something and then it cuts to something that's really incongruous or appropriate or, or, you know, um, the, the editing in this documentary is fantastic I will say um, it tells the story just as well as anybody talking mm-hmm. does so he says I think David Arquette is my hero when you see his wife <laughs> and then smash cut <laughs> to David's wife <laughs> and you know what Rick Flair is not wrong David Arquette well, I, has done incredibly well for himself 
so this is uh, Christina Carty Arquette, who is his second wife. Obviously, he was married to Courtney Cox quite famously in the late 90s to mid 2000s. Um, and she was like, um, she was a newscaster um, who kind of like once they had their kids stepped away and now she's going back and she's a producer. As I mentioned, she produced this movie and she's going um, as the course of this movie is taking place. She's like getting ready to go into to film producing. It goes off to, I think, Alaska at one point to start producing her first film. But anyway, the thing that really struck me, apart from like, the, like she seems like the nicest woman in the world mm-hmm. and the most patient woman in the world. Because as we'll talk about, as well as just being an oddball of a guy, irrespective of any issues he has, um, like she seems the, like the most patient person in the world for both the, the things he goes through medically. She's such a great supportive partner, but also just the fact that he's a weirdo, you know? <laughs> Like, he's just, like, and I say this with all the love of my heart, like, Dan Arquette is a weird dude. Yeah. He, he, do you know what? I wasn't half as aware of, like, the stuff David Arquette lives with every day and what he's gone through in his life yeah. than I was after the end of this, this documentary. Like, that, yeah. that woman, God bless her, like, just to be, like you say, as supportive as she is. Yeah, and they've got three kids, one of whom is uh, her, her stepdaughter, because it's, it's Courtney Arquette, Courtney Cox's daughter with David Arquette um, and the thing that really struck me in this scene apart from the three basset hounds they have who are all adorable uh, is the fact that his new wife looks astonishingly like his previous <laughs> wife <laughs> once again yes yes she does <laughs> I like, would not get over how she looks like 90s Courtney Cox it's just like <laughs> it's like when he has it he has a type, I guess. Do you, like, think, do just... you think Courtney Cox and uh, Christine have noticed that he looks oh, very, very similar? There's no way have they not noticed that or have a hundred people not pointed that out to them. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, there was definitely an awkward conversation at some stage. Um, but she really hits the nail on the head because like, you're coming into this and you know, because like we're coming into it knowing that he came back and knowing that he had matches over the last couple of years. Uh, so we know he comes back and one of the reasons I was tuning into this documentary is like why why the fuck did he come back you know and she really hits the nail on the head I think it sets the tone for the documentary here she says as interesting as wrestling is he felt crossing over into that world caused a lot of directors not to take him seriously Mm -hmm. so we get a little montage of his career and how like like you said Lee he was a really promising young actor uh, maybe the height of, you know, people talking him up was uh, the famous Class of 96 Hollywood Vanity Fair cover where he was in there with like Brad Pitt and was it Matt Damon and mm-hmm. all that kind of generation of actors that went on to be like multi, multi-million dollar grossing lead actors. And he's the one that really sticks out like a sore thumb on that cover. Um, And then he gets this, this role in Scream, which, you know, it's one of his pr- more more prominent roles to date in his career. But because of that, he starts getting typecast as a goofball. That's the and, then be- and then because of his involvement in wrestling and how he really, because he understands wrestling, turns his persona up to 11, people thought there was no difference between the, like, the goofball in Scream and the goofball in wrestling and also the slightly different kind of goofball the man himself actually is. Mm-hmm. Um and then you get like, because I've always seen him when he does media interviews, some of which we see in this, like he's always excitable and erratic and hyper. But there's like something, there's a lot of really sobering moments in this. And the first is him like driving in his car 
and like he's just somber and he's talking about how like he has spent the last 10 years constantly auditioning which you think like a guy of his level of fame you know you're supposed to get to that st- level of status in hollywood where people are offering you roles you're not auditioning for them and he's spent 10 years auditioning and he's getting re- rejected because he's he's david arquette you know he's got the stink on him which is amazing to me like when you consider the amount of movies that are made every year like tv movies like fucking de fucking j level movies in hollywood yeah and david arquette can't get a role like that yeah. just that just tells you the reputation that he had in hollywood circles for the longest time mm-hmm. we're not like we're not saying that arquette should be like leading a marvel movie or anything like that but the fact that he can't get any work whatsoever you know like even say you know the popular thing for people who had burned out is either to do like indie movies or tv mm-hmm. and rehab your image and he hasn't really shown up like he's done a few guest spots here or there over well, the years looking at his imdb like like you look at like robert downey jr yeah was in literal prison yeah, yeah. and he comes back what what was the the role he had that he came back with uh, so there was a couple he was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that's the one yes Was that was the big one uh, and then he got Iron Man off the back of that mm-hmm. um, but like I, I think of somebody else somebody else who kind of like it hasn't flamed out to the degree David Arquette has but has a similar kind of like history in terms of getting involved with wrestling as well as Mickey Rourke Mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke was a guy who was like a very promising young actor his career kind of went away he went into boxing for a while in the 90s then he started rehabbing himself and then he he did The Wrestler which is like I still to this day he was robbed of the Oscar and mm-hmm. The Wrestler was robbed of Best Picture I liked Milk and Sean Penn's performance in Milk it was not as good as The Wrestler or, or, or Mickey Rourke in it but I'll leave, I'll leave that to one side isn't now. that where people really said oh well the, the, this is getting to the stage where it's like, oh, well, this is their time to win it and that's it. Like, Yeah, people were getting Oscars they were owed because yeah. I think it was maybe the year before that that Marty Scorsese finally got his for The Departed. Um, But it was one of those where I think everybody knew, you know, everybody who had their head screwed on right knew, one, because it was about wrestling and two, because, you know, remember word broke that Mickey Rourke was going to have a match with Jericho. Mm-hmm. At WrestleMania. And that was when he started getting shafted on awards. Because I think he'd won the Golden Globe. Or something similar in the lead up. Right. And people, he was he was odds on favourite. Until like maybe weeks away. And the main reason he didn't end up properly doing the match. Was because he thought by not doing the match. And like he'd already kind of. He must have already agreed to do something. With WWE. So he kind of scaled down his involvement dramatically, which is why we ended up with that three-on-one handicap match with the Legends. Legends yeah. And he just he just sparked Jericho out at the end. But a lot of people maintain to this day that the reason he didn't win the Academy Award was because he was involved with wrestling. Um, and I wouldn't disagree with it. But, like, so we have a similar guy here. And, like, uh, you know, Mickey Rourke has done... Uh, you know, he's been in bits here or there since. He hasn't flamed out quite to the extent Arquette has. But, like... It just goes to show, like, the kind of snootiness with which the film business uh, views wrestling. Because look how, look how long it took The Rock to break through, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's something I think we've mentioned here before, I've talked about on podcasts multiple times, where it's like, The Rock, even when he was in bad films early in his career, 
was still the best part of them. And it still took him like the guts of a decade to get the stink of it off and to become, you know, to get away from it. Austin tried, God damn it, uh, and never really got away from it. He's kind of embraced it now again. And he's got all his TV shows based on the strength of him being Stone Cold Steve mm-hmm. Austin. Um, and, and Cena now is, is just, he's in that phase of trying to do that and, and get a, like, sort of make that break. Um, but Arquette, uh, and you know what? I think, I think people are more willing with Cena because they've seen how well The Rock has done. So Cena, yeah. Cena almost has it a little bit easier. Yeah. I think if Cena went first, he'd struggle for as long as The Rock did. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he's he's gotten into a Fast and Furious movie this quickly. <laughs> I still can't wait to see that. And let me tell you, I, um, Cena's performance in uh, I think it's Cockblockers. Yeah. Oh, just I laughed a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's been great and stuff. In fairness to him, uh, he's he's really good. I haven't but, seen um, what, what's the what's the is it what's the Firehouse one that was out this year? Oh yeah, I haven't seen that one. Uh, the one oh he, when he's the the drug dealer boyfriend, uh, or he's a drug dealer in that movie where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey have a house party uh, he's amazing oh sorry that. That, that's the one I'm thinking of um, oh yeah this cock is in as well yeah that's where he's the yeah. the parent he's isn't a, it he's a parent in, in yes. blockers yeah and, and then um, he's also yeah and then he's also in that in Trainwreck and he's brilliant in that I haven't seen that yeah he's really good he's the best part of that him and is it LeBron James plays a role in it where like LeBron James and Bill Hader are like best friends oh I have seen that sorry that yeah he's brilliant in that yeah 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 he's great in that um so like he's just a really charismatic dude but we're, we're kind of getting off the point um <laughs> how unlike us um and I was wondering so like before our next scene here I was wondering like how you know how much of the people around him and how famous are the people we're going to be talking about um, in this? Like, we're going to get people like Ric Flair, obviously, and Ken mm. Anderson. But are we going to get people from his real life, from his Hollywood life, willing to be associated with this documentary? Well, Courtney Cox shows up. Yeah. And I, I was so surprised by that. And she had, I think, one of my favorite lines of the film that's kind of like funny and sad in equal measure. She goes, we met on screen one. We hate, we each, hate other. each other on screen two. <laughs> we got married on screen three. And we got divorced on Scream 4. And I was just like, whoa, you fuckers need to stop being in Scream movies. Yeah, I, I did laugh at that. But yeah, it's like... Like, yeah, I was actually... I was a bit surprised to see like that she actually does turn up in the in the documentary itself. But it's yeah, also good good to see that she thinks highly of enough of him still. Yeah. That she would take part. She seems, yeah, and she seems like a part of his life still mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is great because, like, again, as he charts himself, like, between, like, mental health and addiction and things like that, his life really did fall apart in the mid to late 2000s. So mm-hmm. it's great to see that he still has a good relationship um, with his kid and with, with Courtney and, and that he's doing good now. Um, but then as well, like, speaking of, or she, oh, yeah, Courtney mentions, like, they do the clip of her and uh, Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah, when it was um, that fucking Graceland movie uh, she was doing with him. And yeah, David, you're not a wrestler. Yeah. Um, and she talks about being embarrassed by him, not only involved in wrestling, but like just how excited he would get at the wrestling because he loved it so much. 
Um, and, and she explains like, and you can get it from somebody who doesn't get, get into the world of wrestling. You can kind of understand her perspective because she's saying that like, he doesn't do anything by half measures and no. he, he wasn't going to give anything less than his all in wrestling, but he amped it up so much that like for her in like serious Hollywood situations and things like that, I imagine it was a little bit embarrassing. And she talks about how it, it was awful watching how his life went because you know before this you know around the time they both got cast in Scream their lives and careers were going great Mm -hmm. they're both on the ascent she had gotten friends and this was like Scream was one of her uh, forays into movies like while Friends was one of the most popular shows on television he was on the up and up Uh, and then she's watching like she thinks the wrestling was just part of the his kind of like breaking point basically I think she says it that him getting that particular role in Scream was one problem because again it's that kind of he played the kind of the goofy um, cop and that yeah. kind of typecast him and then when he gets involved with Ready to Rumble and getting into the wrestling stuff people are like okay like this guy obviously is a bit crazy mm. it's not it's not just that he's typecast as this people literally started thinking the guy's yeah. not all there um, next up we have two of his siblings uh, Richmond and Patricia Arquette and I thought like I was like right whatever about Courtney Cox you know ex-wife the we've seen the daughter in the movie she might show up mm-hmm. but then I was just like I, I was like his sisters aren't showing up they are way too famous for this shit <laughs> and all of a sudden Patricia Arquette is here um, who is like I love Patricia Arquette um, I loved um, fucking uh, True Romance it's a great fucking movie and I was a big fan of like when I used to, to live at home my granny loved all those kind of like procedural crime shows and things like that and she was in that medium show where she was like a, a psychic that could help solve crimes okay. so like that was pretty good chewing gum for the eyeballs TV Um. so yeah I love Patricia Arquette and Patricia and Richmond I, I love Patricia's first line in this documentary is incredible where she just li- turns around to the camera and goes can you show penis? Because <laughs> she has like uh, like nude art on the wall and she's trying to block it with like a vase or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's a perfect introduction, I'd say, for Patricia Arquette. <laughs> yeah. Um, and her and Richmond are great in this because I think the two of them really add the the colour of... What was Richmond? Is Richmond famous? It, like, he's not somebody I'm aware of at all. I know I'm not really, but I know like the Arquettes are a famous as they they talk about in this like a famous acting dynasty. So he might be the kind of like the what's the f- the third Baldwin brother, uh, Billy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He might be the Billy Baldwin <laughs> of the family for all I know. You know, um, no, it's not Billy, is it? Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is yeah, because it's, it's Billy Stephen was the one from Stephen Usual and Suspects yeah. and Alec, um, but. Uh, yeah, so like they they add in a lot of the color of like what he was like growing up and the family background and things like that, um, and she she's talking a lot like it's clear that she and David are very close, mm. you know, uh, and you see the two of them messing about like they're still kids and stuff like that, and that's really nice to see. I, I think we can tie all this kind of family stuff into the stuff we come across later in the documentary. Mm. So I'm not a movie buff the way you would be and would wouldn't be as aware of like like you say the Ar- Arquette dynasty and stuff mm. so 
Were you aware? I think we're, we're probably putting it over too big, calling it a dynasty. dynasty. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking. But you were the one that said it, so I'm following you. <laughs> yeah. here. I know. Look, I I've already downed the double whiskey, so I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I wasn't aware that his dad voiced Jimmy Snooker on the WWF cartoon. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that his was it his grandfather was on Hollywood Squares for a yeah. long, long time. <laughs> So is this all stuff you were aware of? So I, I didn't know what they were in, but I knew the father and the grandfather were like bit part character actors, you know? Okay. Both of them obviously would have been before either of our times and their fame would have been entirely localized to kind of uh American movies and TV that we wouldn't have like wouldn't have come across our field of view growing up. I knew he came from like they were acting kids, you know. Um, and I suppose like you could probably assume as much by the fact that at least three of the siblings ended up as famous mm. actors, you know. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show that like you know, his life was not normal from the very start. No, and th- and then they get into like later, like say later in the movie. Um, I think it's Rosanna that brings up that like David was born in a commune. Yeah, where they had like no running water, um, no electricity, stuff like this, and. Mm all of the kids seem to have a really kind of rough upbringing like they, they, these weren't good parents necessarily yeah. well the father was apparently like he was kind of like best intentions they all loved him um maybe the decision to go to the commune was ill advised mm. but it was kind of it was that time it was the 70s you know this was the commune was a thing a lot of people did it wasn't like it didn't seem from the way they said it like it was like a religious kind of commune kind of thing it just seemed more like one of those hippie live off the grid live off the land sort mm. of communes um but yeah as would be described uh, by patricia as well later um their mother was a source of a lot of trauma in their lives she was physically and verbally abusive to them growing up um which like is just one of the like again the growing up both in a commune and as part of like a a third generation hollywood family is weird enough um, is an unusual upbringing that like has a like a high chance mm. of giving the ch- the child issues growing up, uh, and then you have the the layers of abuse and whatever. Like you're starting to get, uh, as we've said, like a really different picture of the man yeah. who we really just thought was just an oddball. Now, like in addition to that, he is like, and I, again, like I said, I mean this in the best possible way. Like he is a weird, kooky dude. You oh know? yeah, like 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 I said, I come out of this movie absolutely loving the man. I think I'd be exhausted after an hour with him. Yeah, like there's a bit where like he very dead seriously is playing tennis with one of his kids with like what must be like a 10 foot long tennis racket. And they, ha- <laughs> you they know? have like that, that obscenely big chair in the back garden. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to because there's a moment with the chair that is like perfect comedic timing. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Richmond has another great line that I think illustrates the man and the, the life he's lived where he said, um, where is it here? Uh, sorry Richmond says um, he never felt he got the love for showing up you know yeah. and I felt that I felt like I, I think I get people hating the decision mm-hmm. but like I, I felt he didn't get enough respect for like this guy was willing to go out there and embrace his love for wrestling publicly where I know it was during the period where wrestling was at its hottest but it was still so niche and so stigmatised yeah. 
that like wrestling fans never gave him enough respect for like essentially putting his career on the line mm-hmm. to put over wrestling in a way where like we've talked a lot on the show in recent months about Malone and about Rodman coming in but there was def- there was never a feeling they fully threw themselves in you know no like here's a WCW comparison you compare Steve Mongo McMichael yeah and like that that guy's career his Football career was over when he came in. Yeah, and people. What do you have to like, lose? People, you know, no, nobody considers him considers him a great wrestler or anything, but like mm. people don't ridicule him and abuse him the way they would Arquette. And like, yeah. like I said, Arquette was at the the height of his fame. <laughs> I was going to say, no one ridicules and abuses him like they should. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that as well, but that's what our podcast is for. But yeah, like then you have David Arquette coming in, like I say, the height of his fame in the year two thousand. And nobody, no fans ever give the guy the credit for, like you say, openly embracing everything that was put at his door by WCW. Um, Bischoff then shows up and you knew we were never far away from an Eric Bischoff appearance. There's never a camera he hasn't liked. Um, He says that, you know, it's something we could all agree in because WCW was littered with celebrities coming in and having involvement and having matches as we've charted on the show before. And he very accurately says the line that was crossed with wrestling fans was winning the title. If they had, it wouldn't have mattered if he'd come in and he would pinned Bischoff or he would pinned Wrestler X, you know, in a fluke win or something like that on Thunder, had a match at Slambury. You know, people might have groaned at it, but it wouldn't have become this, like, defining moment for the the decline of wrestling like it did if it wasn't for the fact they put the WCW title on them and all the history that it carries. Um, Then we get... uh, (laughs) At the 9 minute 50 mark is the first time someone blames Vince Russo. Um, (laughs) So you can (laughs) chalk off your bingo card there. And I, and Um, I love the footage they show. Of Russo going, yeah, it was my idea. Yeah, I killed the business. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a clip from Kayfabe Commentaries, wasn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't actually appear as an interview subject in this film, funnily enough. Shockingly. Um, yeah. Um, so he, then uh, David st- basically states his goal. He says, look, this is to clear my name and to pay proper respect to wrestling. He's an actor and he wants to actually learn this time how to be a wrestler. So fair enough. Uh, he flies out to Brian Nobbs runs at the Legends of Wrestling convention and he wants to ask him for a chance to wrestle. And this is kind of what I had said earlier on in terms of like a really contrived situation. You know, like Nobbs is a fucking worker, you know. Um, so they have like this quote unquote scrap mm-hmm. after Nob says no to him appearing on the show. So like it was definitely something Lee that was like it was contrived for a bit of drama and to give David a goal to accomplish by the end of the film. Um so I think for the casual viewer it may have done something, but I just I'm sure you did as well, like see through this for the work it was. Oh that like as soon as soon as the scuffle began, yeah. I just rolled my eyes just like oh, oh okay. But like you say, it ultimately ultimately pays off at the end of the the documentary so look yeah. it, it's there to you know give you that that happy ending i suppose yeah so i, it, I, look, I, I can kind of i can live with it yeah look it's a documentary about wrestling so you have to take with it that you are going to be worked to a certain extent you know what i mean um so it, in, in an interesting scene though outside afterwards where like a, a very sad david reflects on why like he completely understands why everybody has been mad at him this whole time and talks about the history attached to the business and people like 
being broken at age 40 and then seeing this guy come in from Hollywood and win the belt. He completely understands it, but he wants to understand the business and give it a real go. And I respect the hell out of him for it. Um, then I, I, this is where the start of the man, this guy has like, ha, like had some struggles in his life. So he's chatting to his doctor next and his doctor points out that so I knew he had a heart issue, but he had a, two stents put in in his coronary artery. So there's that conversation with the doctor. And I enjoyed uh, in the conversation with the doctor a bit where he goes, are you a wrestling fan? The doctor goes, uh, no, not really. <laughs> Which is the real, we've all heard the no, not really in yeah. our lives. That's the real polite stop talking to me about wrestling line. Um, his wife also mentions he has absolutely debilitating anxiety. Um, and then he talks about, and I think a lot of this, especially later on when we hear about the mother and things like this, uh, I think it really colours this line he has where he's sitting in the giant chair and he's talking about how I, I love that he looks like a tiny boy in the giant chair mm -hmm. while he's saying, I love how kids see the world. I thought that was great timing, a great framing for that shot. But I think but then, you said it brilliant. The, the editing on this documentary is just... It's top notch. Like it, it really yeah. is one of the best edited together, yeah. um, pieces you'll see. Yeah, and I think he um he says as well a line about how he hated the idea of growing up, and like you've got to understand, like he probably has a lot of arrested development issues with that childhood by the sounds of it, forced to grow up before he had to, uh, and things like that. So you can you can see where that that is coming from. Um, you get a clip from Howard Stern the very recognisable voice of Howard Stern, uh, him claiming he has, so he has substance abuse issues and alcohol abuse issues. Um, and he's talking about how he, even though he still drinks, he believes he has it under control. While there's, again, you talk about the great editing. Mm -hmm. So this clip is playing while there's a montage of him like being wasted and getting sick and things like that. Um, and then like you get the, then it, like it cuts from that kind of slightly oh god like this guy really doesn't have a handle on his problems to um really like i think this is the, the most heartbreaking part of the whole documentary so he's in his neurologist um and for his issues with depression and anxiety he's getting treated with intravenous ketamine um which as they point out is like a, a psychoactive drug that they're looking to try of try and level him out with it and like at first it's good they're like you know it, it seems like it's going to be entertaining and I think that makes the scene all the more harrowing because mm -hmm. you think you're set up for one type of scene that ends up being another like they're like oh you just got to stay positive and he's really sarcastic going oh this is great I love this you know like and, and people are kind of chuckling away and then like Jesus Lee as they start putting more and yeah. more ketamine into the system and his mood starts to change and he starts freaking out and he's mm -hmm. agitated he's like, at one stage he says stop like yeah He's begging them to stop and they're holding him down in the bed and the doctor is pleading with him. Like, it was so fucking hard mm -hmm. to watch. Like, that, that's really where, like, I was just like, like, like you said at the beginning, like, this is really warts and all. And this is where I was really like, my God, like, this guy has, he's lived a life and, like, to live with these issues that he obviously has. And to still want to go back and prove himself to people. Like, he has no need to prove anything to. Yeah. Like, a bunch of wrestling fans. And to put himself through this stuff. To just try and live every day. Yeah. And even the neurologist then, like, you see his brain scans. And they're talking about, like, he just, his brain isn't connected right. 
you know and I think I don't know if at this point or at later on in the film they talk about how it, it seems like maybe you know it could be from birth but also like significant head trauma mm-hmm. and there's kind of I don't think they ever allude to what the significant head trauma is but they just say yeah he's experienced significant head trauma and I'm just like oh Jesus yeah that's that's where the, um, you hear somebody saying that now I don't know if it's his wife or his sister but you hear somebody I think it might have been Patricia said it I th- that's what I thought as well but yeah. You hear, like you said, I think it's Patricia saying, yeah, yeah. And then they, that's where they really get into the kind of the family stuff and the upbringing. And they never mm. talk, like you said, they never directly say what the trauma was. Yeah. But they just you, say you, there you, was you abuse. You can really put two and two together, yeah. Yeah. They just say the abuse. There was great um, There was great footage of the, like, picture, pictures of them with the dad. Mm-hmm. And, like, David talked about how his dad was his best friend and stuff like that. And the sisters talk about the mother. And how the mother, I think it was Patricia, said that like flat out was like choking her and stuff mm-hmm. like that. She choked her to the um, kind of blackout and stuff. Yeah, but like David doesn't even really talk about the mother. So you can tell there's like a lot going on there that he won't. Like he'll talk about a lot of stuff, but he won't talk about that. And I think I think uh, it's his brother that said like he had to live up to being the perfect son. Yeah. Um, he then he gets a phone call that books a signing out east for a company called RXW who the guy on the phone puts them over as one of the uh, up and coming promotions in the east coast that I had never fucking heard of as we'll see why later uh, and then we have I think this is when like we get a bit of respite from the grimness because we go into like a, a, a succession of scenes that were just tremendously entertaining um, so we get um he says before he appears before he wrestles he needs to get his head right and he needs to get his gimmick right so he goes into like his storage container with a family friend uh, and he's going to get his gear and he finds this like fucking Doctor Strange cape uh, that he takes out and he intends to he's like if he cuts the collar off it could look pretty cool like Ric Flair or something he never ends up cutting the fucking collar off it Um, then he comes back into the house fully dressed oh no sorry before that we have his photo shoot. He goes to get his 8x10s made. And this montage of him and his buddy at like what is clearly like a family portrait studio getting his photos done for being a wrestler is fucking brilliant. I think at one stage the guy even goes, the camera loves you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're, the, you're the most beautiful person in the world. It's like something outrageous. Yeah, it, and you have like so what, 50 late 40 year old 50 year old David Arquette in his underwear with his like yeah. little punch and just like all his tattoos white as a she and you're and just he's again this is a guy who's like he's so self aware because like he is jutting the punch out uh-huh. and doing like blatantly ridiculous poses that's something you gotta say as well about the guy is that he's so self aware of what yeah. he is you know Um, but like I think it was at this stage like where I was just like I love how much this guy loves wrestling. Yeah. it's like, so, And there's multiple points in this show where you see, like, he references things that, like, re- like somebody who was just kind of Googling around and pretending to be a wrestling fan wouldn't know or mm-hmm. wouldn't understand. Um, then after the photo shoot, I was so sad that it wasn't, like, twice as long. It's a couple of minutes long and I could have, I could have watched 10 more minutes of it. Uh, he gets home, still in the cape, and his daughter being like 14 or 15 absolutely mortified saying that he's dressed like a wizard <laughs> and he explains no he's not a wizard he's the magic man yeah <laughs> which I mean you're, you're really splitting hairs at that point yeah <laughs> 
I loved it so much. And then he much. talks about pulling a big stick out of his trunks. Yeah. He goes, at, at a couple of points he goes, and look, it's a pretty big stick. <laughs> uh, that's one of his gimmicks. He goes, like, oh, a lot of these magic tricks. It's going to be good. Um, but he says, then there's a scene where he says he's sick of being a joke. But he says this while wearing yep. his robe yep. and vaping on a horse. Yeah. <laughs> With no t-shirt on, by the way. With no shirt on. For some reason, his shirt is gone, but the cape is still on. <laughs> and he's sitting on top of this big, huge horse in, like, on his land, which seems, which seems, you know, a vast amount of land. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, God, I love him. Like if well, he hadn't I, I, won me all already, yeah, no, I know. I I fell in love, sympathy. fell in love with him at this point. <laughs> Put the belt back on him. <laughs> <laughs> um, then he gets to this convention, and he does the like it's the full wrestling superstar Virgil, a completely deserted mm-hmm. table after the build up, like he's going to be popular. And again, I think that's fully set up. Oh yeah. A hundred percent, because like people like us, if I was at a WrestleCon and I saw David Arquette, that is the first table I'm going to. Oh, holy 100%. shit! Yeah, like even if it, like it, you know, it'd be semi-ironic for me to go over. But even people would fully ironically go over, get an eight by ten in a photo with him. Come on, like he's not Virgil. You understand MTQ. Virgil has never been even ironically cool. <laughs> but David Arquette, people are even just to pop themselves. They're going getting photos with Arquette. Oh, uh, then he, they do like. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, easily, like, pe- people aren't going to ignore David Arquette. Yeah, he does a couple of, vo- uh, they do a couple of Vox Pops then with people who are, uh, like, vendors um, at the convention. And it just sounds like a convention full of Cornette's audience. Yep. Because <laughs> they're talking about, like, there's a couple of points. And Cornette's voice is heard on this documentary, like a clip from one of his podcasts, I think. And, like, it's just that, you know, screwing with the business and stuff like that. And then... Then, of all people to show up in this documentary, you see a brief clip of hit of David Arquette horsing around with New Jack. New Jack, who has a fucking dagger. <laughs> well, let me tell you. If I was at a wrestling convention and New Jack is there holding a fucking machete, yeah. I am not letting him hold it to my neck. No. And I mean... And to think this wasn't the time in this documentary where his neck was in the most jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Um, our but, next go ahead. Um, yeah just of all people to pop up I was not expecting New Jack our next scene introduces my new favourite wrestler in the world Rick Kelly <laughs> yeah of course he is the most shindy re- middle aged wrestler I've ever seen in my life living out of Buffalo Bill's van from the Silence of the Lambs <laughs> fully shag carpeted 70s van driving the van around in his gear which are like he's he's not like he's not overweight but he's like he's got a small frame and he's out of shape he's skinny fat he's, he, yeah, he's skinny fat he's got the, he's bald he's got the goatee like he just he looks like shit god bless him he seems like a really nice guy but he just looks like it's proper Dennis Stamp Hang on, levels you forget how we foresee him He's sitting, sitting in the back of his van. Sorry, just yeah. kind of sitting half in, half out of his van with, you say, the full orange shag carpet in yeah. his gear, holding a dumbbell, yeah. doing curls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where I was like, oh my God, this is Dennis Stamp reborn. 
Um, then we get to where he had his booking for a match. He had heard there was, you know, there was he, he, there was a point where he's on the phone to his wife and he's like, well, these are the only company that invited me, so I've got to go. And it's literally the most low rent backyard bunch of guys who know each other running a backyard fed. Um, the most embarrassing geeks I may have ever seen in my life, Lee. Um, I, I'm I'm not gonna you know make assumptions, but I yeah. genuinely think in the middle of this pandemic, I could put together a wrestling show better than that. Yeah, in in my backyard, yeah. with the most horse shit fucking stuck together with sellotape and prayers oh, ring you've God, ever seen in that, your life. That that ring terrified me. There's like, one point at which like the the ring just breaks when they're just doing basic spots and uh, Rick Kelly, I think it's Rick Kelly dresses them down just by like, there's no actual cushioning on the ring. It's literally just like what looks like almost no. the cheapest tarp in the world over. There, were, there was no, there was nothing bolt uh, holding the ring together. There was no bolts or anything in the ring. That's right. It was just the frame with boards on top of it. And then what and then, passed for a mat. And the, uh, the, the superstar of the uh, promotion, the main eventer goes, well, I was in prison yeah. when it was put together. Yeah, I. Oh my god, that was like, I, that was perfect. And I think you hear Rick Kelly going, "Of course you were." Yeah, <laughs> I completely died at that line. They're so like I know because you see in their the post match interview that they're kind of they were amping up how much they hated him, but I still felt when he came out, I was like, "Oh, they're so mean to the Magic Man." <laughs> when David David comes out, also there's no way that they own that smoke and light machine. The the no. documentary crew absolutely rented that for them. Um, he does get the absolute tar beaten out of him in this match, though. Like, and you know his what? back was lit up. I love, I love, and again, this makes me love him even more. He wore white to get his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. What Perfect. a wrestling fan! What a fucking yeah. wrestling fan! What a worker! <laughs> but like in a show that nobody was watching, apart from the guys who were on the show. Like literally, the stands were the guys who were working mm-hmm. the show. He still took. Uh, he took tack spots, did he? Yep. Uh, and he took light tubes. There was light tubes. Uh, he, no, it wasn't this. It was. Um, I think one of the big spots was your man dropping an elbow on his chest. <laughs> yeah, which like we had had a bit early on about how like he was on two different kinds of blood thinning medication, mm-hmm. and if he had internal bleeding, he could die. <laughs> so there are of course multiple occasions where he gets squished by people uh, on this show. But yeah, um, so, like just just seeing him in the kids' bathroom, just cleaning himself up. Yeah, it's just like it's a real kind of like. I know it's a documentary, but what is David Arquette doing? Yeah. Um, then he goes like he he goes to wrestling school and again it's the most low rent wrestling school you've ever seen in your life um, that, that Rick Kelly brings him to I'm like Rick Kelly needs to get better friends because he's going to get killed by some of these people <laughs> you need to get him down to Fight Factory yeah but he, he learns how to do a lock up and, and things like that at the wrestling school and he's clearly like enjoying himself a little bit then he kind of plays out his internal monologue about his struggles with wrestling and respect and dignity where he has these marionettes and mm-hmm. he's having a little like it's like it's equal measures kind of like heartwarming and nice but also a little bit sad that like this guy has a lot of demons he's struggling with I think you're also forgetting that uh, the marionettes one is himself yeah and the other is the devil Yes. Um, and if that doesn't like perfectly encapsulate everything the man goes through mm. with regards his his love for wrestling and how wrestling has treated him. Yeah. 100%. Um, 
we then get we hear voiceover from from Diamond Dallas Page um, talking about how David absolutely did not want to be champion. And that's the part where, like, it's really hit home um, between his wife and DDP saying that, like, how would he turn it down? As, like, who in that position would turn down being WCW champion? Um, and he just thought, like, obviously it was going to get the movie over and, and, and something, stuff like that, you know? Then we get maybe my favorite part of the film. And it's David and his mate heading off to Mexico. <laughs> so David he- David heads down to Mexico by himself. And then the wife rings on FaceTime, rings like his best friend. And it's a really nice story about how he got to meet his best friend. It's like he was going to the Super Bowl and he he, he was he outside. met this guy yeah. yeah, who didn't have a ticket. And he it's, said, not, it's not even that he met him. He saw this guy in yeah. a Sandy Hook first responder t-shirt from yes, a distance. that was it. And he just walked over to him and he said, hey, have you got a ticket? And the guy was like, oh, no, yeah. I don't. And David was like, well, do you want to go with me? Yeah. And that's how they met. And it's just like, that tells you the measure of the man as well. Yeah. Like, such a decent guy. Like, that really hits at home. And, like, there's, like, a montage of photos of, like, these two guys are, like, fucking inseparable now. So, like, uh, the wife rings are going, look, I'd feel better if you went down with him and he's like yeah I just need to get time off from the cop shop so he heads down and there's a lovely scene of the two of them meeting up with each other in their little villa and like play wrestling around um, but then we get my god maybe the greatest montage in cinema history of David Arquette training with DDP on the beach which was like a cross between something with a fucking karate kid and like the end of the Shawshank Redemption where Andy meets Red on the beach in Zuataneo. <laughs> well, I can tell you, if you've ever done DDPY, you will know those are all moves from DDPY. <laughs> because again, the king of all carries, DDP would oh, of course be putting over the yoga. And of course he was wearing his t-shirt. He had to be wearing his t-shirt. <laughs> Of course he is. Uh, course I, he is. I, I love DDP. You, you can't unironically not love DDP. Like, um, then, th- then we go to... This is right. So this portion, the Mexico trip, my favourite part of the fucking film. I was roaring laughing for about 20 minutes straight. There was some heartfelt stuff, but my God, the comedy here was unbelievable. So, Next sorry, we have sorry a, I just want to interrupt since yeah. we're talking about comedy. Um, yeah. Liverpool are losing 5-1. I, I did see this. I didn't want to interrupt, uh, <laughs> but I, I was popping huge a few minutes ago. I had to mute myself. Um, um, but yeah, go on. Um, so, yeah, so the whole Mexico training stuff. That we have him meet these lucha lads, right? <laughs> and they appear to have a ring set up inside a Mexican prison. Okay, have like, you, that's uh, what it looks like. No, have you watched... I think, is it the wrestlers or is it... Um, it's not Dark Side of the Ring, so it must be the wrestlers. The voice yeah. series. I haven't seen that episode. Okay. It's the exact same place that the, the reporter from The Wrestlers ah, goes to. Damien Abraham goes to? Yes. Oh, it's wow. The exact I need same to watch place. that episode now. And I'm pretty sure some of these, like some of the, the um, traffic light people are the same people that he meets. Now, yeah, obviously, not, be the, surprised. Not, not the kind of heavier guys that we see him training with initially. I don't think they were but, in the Damon Avery uh, the, the wrestlers. Yeah, it looked like it looked like a bunch of lucha dads, and it looked like it was set up inside the yard of a prison. Like it's in between, it's in this like enclosed area with a bunch of buildings around it, 
and there's a ring set up it. I will say it looks significantly more stable of a ring than the backyard mm-hmm. lads had, thankfully. And he learns to do a hurricane rana. And my God, when he actually got the hurricane rana, I I I cheered uh, I, by I myself. I was sitting here watching by me, on my own with the headphones on. And I just went. <laughs> I yeah. I couldn't help but like. Then we have him doing street lucha, which is incredible. I was I was going to say as, as someone who has like been in a wrestling ring training. I think top... as someone who has done street lucha. <laughs> yeah, just just off uh, O'Connor Street there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thought of having to do a hurricane rana is terrifying. Yeah. And to, to see him actually just do it is like, yeah. you know what? This guy is giving us all. And yeah. again, I love how much this guy loves wrestling that he was willing to go do this stuff. And you know what? By the end of the movie, he does a pretty good hurricane rana, doesn't mm-hmm. he? But we look. There's a few things we'll talk about when we get to the end of the movie about stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the the street lucha, like yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, like dudes like fucking stiffing each other with unprotected chair shots in traffic, and then like they're telling him go get the money, go get the money. So he's having to go. I love this. He's having to go from car to car and go. Oh, look, can I take your money? But like the first guy he goes to just high fives him. <laughs> I'm not giving you money but fair play to your son then there's a montage of him chasing chickens ah oh, did you think what I thought what they went full Vince McMahon oh yeah yeah I'll end to somebody putting Shane McMahon's voice over that clip <laughs> see he's chasing chickens then he goes to karaoke with the Lucha Dads then they're hitting pinatas <laughs> then he goes to get an El Santo tattoo <laughs> And you know all that happened in the space of like two and a half hours. Yeah, and then they go to him having a match down there as David Arquetto has a lucha match, um, and he does all right. And then he gets a at mask. the end, yeah, at the this is the thing, like again showing how big, uh, like mm-hmm. how much he understands wrestling culture. One of the lucha dads takes off his mask, signs it, and gives it to him, and he's literally moved tears by it. Yeah, he he literally comes out like um. You see a bit where they're in the locker room and two of the Lucha guys remove their masks in front of them, which is a big deal, obviously, yeah. as we all know. Yeah. And then his 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 friend, his best friend, is out by the ring talking to the camera. Yeah. And Arquette comes up behind him. He's like, um, is it Mr. Mr. Something, Mr. I'm not going to say Miyagi, but Mr. Miido or something, whatever the guy's name yeah. was. He's like, yeah, like because these these aren't like, it's not like it's an internationally, like one of your top five luchadors no. of all time. Like it just, but he understands how important the mask is. He's like, he took off his mask and gave it to me. And his friend is like, well, he's like, he gave me his mask and signed it for me. And he's just and he's he's, crying. He's like blown he's away sobbing. with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And then we have the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, which is him standing dramatically on a rock, screaming with the luchadors. <laughs> Where he's just like, they're standing on a collection of rocks and he's standing opposite them on a single rock and he thanks them. And then they all start going, (laughs) Again, to bring back the Karate Kid comparisons, it's the beach scene where they're standing on. (laughs) Then we have a clip from the media and it's him going on Wendy Williams to announce his return to the ring. Uh, We see him training with Tyler Bateman. He buys a ring out his back garden. And this is where Rosanna Arquette shows up. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I thought Patricia was too famous. Rosanna is way too famous for this shit. But here she is. Then we have what I think everybody who is probably on wrestling Twitter remembers. His his long Twitter angle with RJ City. Who I think, like, you know, people clown on, on RJ a lot for his kind of, like, 
people are kind of over his Twitter shtick at this stage. But like, I think it is worth noting he was like a really important part of the Arquette story in that like he was a guy who had like a bit of social media buzz about him mm. in wrestling who kind of almost vouched for Arquette on his return and took him under his wing. So like, you know, fair play to him there. And I tell you, the, the match we see them have in Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, yeah. I tell you what, I loved, I loved the way, again, I loved the way this was all cut together. So yeah. they're going over the match in the locker room and then we mm. see the spots. Yeah. And I love it. And I tell you what, the match seemed like it was really fucking good. Like a really good little match. Yeah. Uh, again, fantastic editing to tell that story of how they put together the match and then executed the match. Um. So then we have him getting his fake tan. Oh, Dave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so they- so good of all the things <laughs> I do not need to see on a Sunday morning yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do not need to see David Arquette in a cocksuck yeah and what, nothing else what I, lo- what I loved about it is one how casual he is about it two how the person doing the tan is like the only ready to rumble fan on the earth because she starts describing it as like oh my favourite part was um, the scene your, your sex scene with, uh, with um, Rose McGowan the, the, the foreign objects line and he recreates it. he's like foreign objects <laughs> which is by the way one of the best lines in the movie I will give I will give her that she is accurate in that um, and then I fucking pissed myself at him coming home and like it was you know that scene from Friends where Ross gets too much spray tan mm-hmm. right it is like <laughs> David Arquette walks into his house and he looks like he's made of milk chocolate <laughs> And his wife's reaction is like, oh yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> but like his, his, his mother-in-law, who's just like, who is that? <laughs> and like, yeah, they're all just chilling on the couch and he's like, he's talking to her about it. And, and she's like, yeah, it's great. But uh, have you thought about when you have to go to your movie? Yeah. And he's, you can just see the light bulb on his head going, oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> he goes and washes it all off but even just just before that when he's driving home and it's in like the LA heat obviously and just like it's melting the beads of sweat <laughs> are melting the tan <laughs> uh, it was so good again yes, then the, you have the perfect scene for the perfect moment in the movie yeah you have then his match as you said with RJ which looked pretty okay. Then unfortunately, after uh, like 20 minutes of the greatest shit you've ever seen, there's unfortunately a Joey Ryan Vox pop. We won't Thankfully have it doesn't yet. last long. Yeah. Uh, there's a montage then of him wrestling um, Ellsworth and Frank the Clown in a tag match, which I, sounds I diabolically bad. I tell you what, that gear that him and RJC had, the matching gear. It's really good. How fucking lovely it. was that? Yeah, it was really good. Uh, we have him wrestling Ethan Page, which mm-hmm. I didn't know he did. So I need to look up that match. We have him doing spots with Bubba, Bubba Ray, Sandman, uh, Jerry Lawler. And, I, I tell uh, you what, I, I, I thought this as soon as uh, I want to see that Jerry Lawler match. If it's on YouTube, I'm going to go look it up. Yeah. It, I, if you haven't seen it as well, the final thing you see a clip of is his match with Tim Thatcher. And his match with Timothy Thatcher at WrestleCon 2019 I think it was 2019, is one of the greatest squash matches I've ever seen in my life. Um, It's unfortunately at the aforementioned Joey Ryan's show that mm-hmm. he did that year. But it is fabulous. It's like maybe five minutes, maybe less. 
and Thatcher just fucking stretches him and beats the shit out of him. If he got two spots in in the match, I'd be surprised. <laughs> he just beats the shit out of him all I can in say, the most. All I can say yeah, is yeah. remember Tim Thatcher. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I know. Um. Then we have a match I had completely forgotten oh, about happening. Oh, I, had... I, I, at this moment, and I, I was, I knew what was coming. Because <laughs> as, as soon as I seen him, I went, oh no, oh no, 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 no. I, Lee, honest to God, I completely forgot oh. that this match had ever happened. And as soon as Nick Gage's face yeah. is shown on screen, I did exactly what you just did there. I went, oh no. I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> And after like seeing him so happy on the road and all these matches and little montage, I was yeah. like, great. And it's it's such a happy little thing. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Gage and I went, oh no, no. Yeah. Fuck. I, I, I didn't want it to end. <laughs> so him and Nick Gage have a match. And Nick Gage has the Nick Gage match with him. Like, I can't even tell you the immense respect I have for David Arquette for doing a Nick Gage match mm-hmm. and all that entails. Like, the, one of the four spots that we see is him going through a door. Yeah. And the velocity. Yeah. Like he proper went through the door so fast that he rebounded off the turnbuckle. And then it just gets worse from there. Yeah. Like light tubes, the whole ring roll that you'd expect from a Nick Gage match. So he was already brutalized before the incident where with the end of a light tube, wasn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, he, so like, firstly he carves his head open. Yeah, so obviously if you've ever seen a death match with light tubes, a, a, a well done spot is um, the light tube breaks. Somebody grabs the, the broken bit of light tube and grinds it into somebody's forehead. It's been done a thousand times, mm-hmm. and Gage does that, and then he goes to do it again. But it, it seems like he he's holding Arquette from behind, like almost in the kind of sleeper hold position. Yeah. And I think Arquette freaks for just a slight moment. Mm-hmm. And whatever way he twists his neck. Yeah. A part of the light tube goes into his neck. Yeah. And, and it's proper a scary fucking moment. It. Like, we get a brief, brief clip of the actual, the hole in his neck. Yeah. And Arquette freaks. He leaves the ring. He... I think he takes a minute to just kind of calm himself, considers everything, goes back to the ring, basically takes a hip toss and gets covered. Yeah. Like, this guy, nobody would have batted an eyelid if he just kept walking. walking. Yeah. But he came back in and took the pin. Unbelievable. Um, And something that (laughs) I think we kind of glossed over is, as Arquette's getting ready to go out for his match, somebody is carried backstage because they couldn't finish a match. Yeah. And it's a real... that was obviously the first sign yeah. that something was a Like, you know, this was going to be the, the end of the happy part of the film. Mm-hmm. So he gets carried out by um, somebody from the show and somebody else who we'll talk about in a yeah. couple of minutes. And we see him getting brought to the hospital um, and getting treated. And that's when we see another clip of the puncture where, like, somebody lifts their hand away for a second and the yeah. blood just bursts out of there yeah it streams uh, like, it, it, it's absolutely terrifying we have a montage of people from podcasts and YouTube again um, 
including Cornette this time, talking about footage from that match and saying, like, the dude you just quit. Like, what's the point of this? We have then one of my favorite shots of the whole film. So you see um, his ring out the back garden in the pouring rain. And the camera, like, sinks below the level of the mat. And as it does that, it kind of does, like, an upside down, uh, like, a reverse shot into kind of, like, the underworld, quote-unquote, which is, like, memories of him at WrestleCon before mm -hmm. this. Really excellent shot. Excellent editing again. Um, The doctor, then, is really worried about his substance abuse and saying that, look, like, pain and the treatment of pain is a real trigger for relapse for addicts which I think you know a lot of us would have mm -hmm. known that then we talk about um, his really good friend and again one of the big stars of the 90s as well um, Luke Perry Th this, this was something I again was not aware of uh, so I knew they were friends um, but I didn't know they were like like seriously like tight like proper best friends and mm -hmm. the thing that absolutely staggered me was that the man that was helping him in the yeah. car to the hospital was Luke Perry because Luke Perry he was wearing a hat he'd grown out his beard at this stage did not recognise him and yeah. it really like it really affected me again that, that like that grey footage in the car like you see Arquette sitting in the front and yeah. the camera pans to the person beside them in the back and the guy just puts his hand up like not to be seen yeah. and I yeah. just thought you know it's a promoter or whoever it was yeah. because at that moment in that scene in the car I was like is that Jungle Boy driving I w and I, I just kind of like put it out of my mind I was just like ah that's a weird little cameo and then you hear his wife while, while David is kind of laid up um, at home and you hear his wife saying you know in 2018 he had the heart attack and then this year he lost one of his best friends in Luke Perry Yeah, and and she's and she says um, and you know like when, when David had that incident at the show it was Luke Perry that took him to the hospital. Yeah. And it was like, what? Like, and then there's... It was just a real kind of like eye-opening moment. Yeah. And then there's like a montage of like them over the years in photographs. Like they mm. were such good friends. And like, so you have, this is where he's at his lowest. It's him like on his own in a hoodie and a hat watching Randy Savage tapes by himself. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking, God, like the risk of relapse here between one of his best friends dying and the pain and stuff like that. Like this is surely the end of the road. And, for him. and you know what? The, the, the Randy Savage narrative is something we haven't talked about, but it's dear throughout the whole movie. Yeah, he he talks about like how much he he mentions like at one stage like he was in love with Miss Elizabeth as a lot of people were. Yeah, and like Savage is obviously by far his favorite wrestler of all time. Like even there's a moment with Rick Kelly where they're talking about you know Savage always used the top rope elbow and stuff like that. So like it's obvious that like Randy Savage is a major inspiration to the guy. Mm -hmm. So then you get him like you say sitting at home on his own. His wife has gone to Alaska. His best friend is gone. His wrestling dream is over. And all he has yeah. left is Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage. Yeah. So then he's watching the tape and he's obviously feeling his oats then because even though he's at his lowest, he says, but I've got this guy, Ken Anderson, Mr. Anderson, who's been talking a lot of mess about me. So the match is still on. He mentions about how, like, you know, people don't understand with, like, the shit he's gotten for 20 years. And this really, like, put it into perspective for me. He goes, I don't care what everybody said. Slamboree. You know, he goes, that match where he had the three-way in the triple mm -hmm. cage, he goes, that was one of the best days of my life. And I was just like, wow. Like, you know, what a lot of people have framed as one of the worst nights in wrestling mm -hmm. is one of the best days of his life. So it's like, just a, 
Oh God, it was like uh, imagine really... have, imagine the best day of your life and having like a collection of people yeah. that have shit all over that moment for twenty years. Yeah. So then we have a montage of him training, and I believe he was training with Peter Avalon. Yeah, Peter uh, Peter Avalon. Um, who's your guy? You mentioned um, Tyler Bateman. They're they're kind of credited yeah. as his training partners when he's at home. And it's cut to Limp Biscuit, so he's obviously clearly a wrestling fan. If it wasn't clear already, <laughs> the WWE's favorite band. Um, then I, I was thinking, like, as they're hyping up this this event, this Legends of Wrestling thing, I'm just like, they are giving this convention and Ken Anderson way too much credit. Like, this film frames it like Ken Anderson is one of the biggest stars in wrestling, and that this convention is one of the biggest events in the wrestling calendar. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm not so much buying that. But anyway, uh, then we get a really nice moment for his entrance where his wife, like ever the supporter space, as we said from the start, brings him to the ring dressed as Liz. And like, oh, you know, it that... seems like a thing that it'd be so cheesy, but I was nearly in tears. <laughs> I was just about to say, say, I honestly felt tears coming to my eye when I realised what she was doing. Yeah. Because, uh, you, uh, like, again, haven't seen the whole the whole documentary. I can tell how much that would have meant to him. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy who, like, the whole film has talked about, like, for 20 years, nobody has accepted who he is and his love for wrestling at the same time. And, like, this is the most symbolic thing of all. Him, his best friend, and his wife as his uh, valet, as Miss Elizabeth, coming out for this match. Um so then we have like they frame this Anderson match that we only see a few clips of as kind of like his redemption point in wrestling is like look if he never wrestles again um, it was all worth it that he came back and people had respect for him and you see like fans kind of point on going you know what you're pretty good um, um, like, it what, was what, just so nice yeah was it before the Anderson match or after the Anderson match where we get the Jungle Boy moment so it's after okay, and you well, want to talk about t- yeah, I, I was just going to say I couldn't remember exactly because I remember the Anderson moment being the, the last thing and then yeah. I was like no should the, the Jungle Boy thing but um, yeah like the, oh god the, the Jungle Boy match so yeah this is kind of the epilogue so like this, the main story of the film is over and then the follow up is Jungle Boy and as soon as I saw Jungle Boy you want to talk about feeling like tears were coming to your eyes because I knew where this was going and he talks about how, like, you know, David's been in his life since he was a kid. And mm-hmm. David talks about how, you know, Juggle Boy Jack was family. And they have a match together. And David cuts a promo at the end. Like, I was I was holding it together, Lee. <laughs> I was holding it together. And David cuts a promo after the match they had, which, by the way, looked like it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very end of the match, he says something like, I loved your father so much. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> No, like, like the, the whole, the last, like, I want to say four or five minutes of the of the whole show is just, like, yeah. it, it's, again, like, I come out with this, like, having so much respect, so much love for David Arquette and, like, just how much he loves wrestling and how important yeah. it is to him in his life. Yeah. I, I don't think, like, it, it can ever be doubted the man had a, a sincere and abiding love for the business um we also got a uh, one of my favorite things to ever have in a documentary did you appreciate the outtakes reel at the end of this oh god loved it loved it 
<laughs> Mr. Anderson not able to lift the weights. <laughs> um, I love uh, Brian Pillman Jr. His little oh mom. my god, oh. like you... so. This is again. I was already like an emotional mess, and it's something we knew because I think we even said it on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. You see, and you wouldn't know that he's not identified as Brian Pillman Jr. Is he? Uh, I don't think he it's ever just, is. Yeah. So this is what I was thinking. Like, there's a lot of funny outtakes, and then you see Brian Pillman Jr. standing there in like a dicky bow and a waistcoat, and he's got like love hurt glasses, w- w- wacky on. glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about how, like, you know, people think this of David Arquette, but what I want them to know is, like, all the money he got from WCW, all of it, his appearances and things like that, he gave to my family and he gave to Owen's family. And I was just like, I was gone. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was just like, man, this is just like the nicest guy. That That's something that has never, ever been a secret in wrestling. But it's also not as widely known as it should be. But again, yeah, it, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm not sure, like, if you aren't a wrestling fan that you're aware that this man made no money from the thing that basically killed his career. Mm. And again, after watching 90 minutes of what this guy lives with, what he's gone through for the past 20 years, his career going down the hole, and then you come away in the last moments going, this man never made a penny from that. Yeah. Like, it's just, amazing. Oh, my God. It was just so nice. Um, Such a nice ending. So, like, I know we were talking about, like, there's there's down moments throughout. But fucking hell, like, what an, like, ultimately uplifting film this is. Like, this is genuinely. And, and I guess, like, you're not going to enjoy it as much if you don't have the context. It, I think you still will enjoy it quite a bit if you're not a wrestling fan. But I think it goes to that extra level mm-hmm. if you've been along for the ride. And, like, this is genuinely one of the best wrestling documentaries I've ever seen. I, I don't even think you need to qualify it as wrestling documentaries. I think this is one of the best documentaries yeah. you'll ever see. Because, like, yeah. I don't know if you want, what do you even say, document Like, biographies, I almost say. Like, even though it's made by his wife. Um, yeah. Like, just to see, again, like, what this guy has gone through, what he's lived through, what he continues to live with. Yeah. And... It's just how genuine the man seems to be. Yeah. What what a nice man at the end of all this. Like what just what an incredibly nice person David Arquette is. Yeah. Um and like I don't mind saying it, like it has totally coloured again how I see what his run was in WCW. Yeah. It's gonna be so interesting, like in the years to come when we finally get to that period, now that we have this context. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it's really gonna inform our perspective on things. Um, 100% but uh, I, I suppose uh, look let's let's do a Days of Thunder ending for it uh, and say uh, apart from David Arquette because that's the obvious one uh, you're winners and losers of the documentary Lee <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting this um, do you know what what I'm gonna say his wife because yeah. she She's like a genuinely amazing human being. Yeah, I'm going to say his ex-wife, Courtney Cox, again, comes across incredible in it as well. Like, just, like, you you see the care that, like, the obviously feeling she still has for him. Like, when, uh, I think it's Coco was the daughter, showing her clips yeah. from one of the matches, and she's like, oh, I can't watch this. Like, I can't, can't see him go through this. And it's, it's just everybody in the middle. Like, there's nobody in, in the whole thing that comes across badly. Yeah. Like, none, none of the main characters, I don't think. No, 
Uh, I think the only real loser is probably Vince Russo, undeservedly so. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because, like, he um, he obviously thrust this upon... Like, he... It, it feels like a weird thing to say, like, with such a redemptive and positive ending, but, like, essentially, Vince Russo ruined his life. <sighs> and, you know, to this day, he still laughs. I was like, oh, bro, you know? Yeah, headlines, bro. And no, really, he has that line, you know, we talked about, he has that line from the, the kayfabe commentary thing where he goes, oh, I think they killed the business and stuff like that. But there seems to be no real appreciation for how he affected that man's life. No. I imagine that's why he didn't participate in the documentary is because he probably did I, a quick Google. <laughs> I would imagine that David Arquette and Vince Russo have not seen each other since the year 2000. Yeah. And, I, you know, with the, the disdain in Bischoff's voice mentioning him, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I can imagine that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of people who have a lot of warm feelings towards that man. Um, I would also include in my winners, um, Rick Kelly. And in my losers, I would include his murder van. <laughs> or anyone that's ever been in with him. Yeah, and they've probably not come out. <laughs> um, but anyway, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about this movie. I have a big smile on my face now. Uh, it's really uh, improved my day. Such a better mood now than when we started. Yeah. Thoroughly, thoroughly could not recommend this documentary more. Uh, we hope you've all enjoyed this this trip. I would I would say, even if you've listened to this whole thing, um, and you probably, I, I, I don't even want to say, like I'll put a spoiler warning in the description. But I don't even want to say it's spoilers because I think everybody who probably listens to this has enough of a beat on wrestling Twitter that they probably know the things that happened in terms of like his matches and stuff. But like, even if you've listened to this whole hour and a half or whatever of the podcast, uh, it's still worth watching. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's incredible. And one thing I do want to say before we go, I really, 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 even more than ever now, want to have David Arquette on this show. Yeah. Oh my God. Life goals. We're, 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 once again, we're saying it out there and hoping that yeah. we can manifest it. <laughs> it, it needs we've, to happen for us. Needs to. Again, we've got four or five years to, to ramp up uh, before we get to him actually being in WCW. But holy shit. I'd lo- I, I would love to speak to and pay my respects to the man mm-hmm. one of these days. Um, but look, we leave it at that. We've talked for longer than the film actually ran, <laughs> which is very Days of Thunder. Um, but it's been a pleasure. Thank you all. We'll be back in two weeks with your reg- regularly scheduled programming. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present, with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the sky